Hi, I'm John Wylan, Head of Research for InfraLogic. Welcome to InfraLogic's Crossroads Podcast. I'm joined today by features reporter Demi Corbin, who will discuss two recent articles, piece on how middle market infrastructure funds are targeting double-digit investor returns to set themselves apart from large-cap funds, and an article on how infra-fund managers are approaching estimates of the future impact of climate change and their investing strategies. Please click the links included in the Crossroads invitation posted on our website to read the actual articles. Demi, welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, fund return story and how it came about? Absolutely. Uh, so basically, with that story, I was going through several of our internal fundraising reports that we do publish on uh, Infralogic. And basically, looking at the data, I saw that we've seen some uptick in new entrants or first-time funds, as they call themselves. And those funds were basically focused on the mid-market space. And what was interesting and what I was trying to find out through this um, article is whether there's a trend or, um, within the space, whether there's an uptick, just generally because if we look back at the data, if we look back at three years before uh, this new trend, we see that some large cap funds were actually exiting the space. Uh, and this created a gap of which those mid-market funds, those new art entrants are trying to fill. Uh, just because of this overwhelming interest that we see in infrastructure as an asset class. And now we see that LPs are also looking for what's next for their traditional infrastructure portfolios and mid-cap transactions are obviously one of the ways to go. Uh, and there's several reasons why, uh, why the choice of a mid-cap fund. So one of them uh, is that they're not particularly... Um, so they're new, but they're not particularly unexperienced because they do have some prior experience through their team members who have operating experience in the infrastructure space. And as you mentioned uh, with the headline of the uh, of the story, they're promising premium returns of about 9 to 12%, if not more, because they're looking at the new spaces, new subsectors, such as energy transition, digital infrastructure, and the likes. Uh, now, the main issue that we were trying to see with this story is uh, if we can compare the returns to traditional infra funds and see whether they are actually going to meet the promising returns that they're preaching on. Right. <laughs> there is some discussion as to whether that would happen with uh, at least one of your sources saying they think the funds, the, the, the returns might be a little lower than that, than those province returns. Well, one question I had was, and you, you get into this in the story a little bit, is that uh, you know if big fund managers are starting to get into the middle market space, you know, kind of go after the same types of assets, do these middle market only fund managers stand a chance? That's an interesting point because obviously, as I mentioned before, three years ago those large cap funds were exiting the mid market space. But what we see this year is that some large cap funds are reassessing whether the mid-market is a space for them. And we saw, for example, Anton Infrastructure that launched a multi-billion dollar fund within the mid-market space. But when, when you speak to the mid-market players themselves, um, they say that they're not really competing with those large cap funds that are kind of launching those mid-cap funds just because, for example, um, the mid-market funds are not creating multi-billion dollar funds, yet Anton, for example, created a multi-million billion dollar fund. And so there are a few other things that are important to point out. So, for example, those large cap funds 
are going to have to incentivize their team players to not just look at those larger deals that they're usually focused on, but also the mid-cap deals. And that's just going to change the priorities for the team members, where usually it's just more more feasible for them to look at large deals because it makes sense. Um, so I guess they do stand a chance, but it's all going to go back to whether, again, they get the returns they're promising and are able to attract LPs just because LPs tend to be a bit cautious with first-timers, given that they don't have a large track record. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Another thing, a kind of question that popped out to me in reading this is that you'd said that you know it can take longer to close these smaller deals that these mid-market funds target than the larger transactions that the big cap funds target. Why is that? Why does it take longer to, to close these smaller transactions? It's a bunch of factors, really, but it's mainly around resources. So these deals are less in- intermediated. So du- due diligence will naturally take longer and so will negotiations because of the lack of management accounts and data. Um, so just to put a number to this as well, large cap transactions can close in as little as, as two months. Whereas because of those longer due diligence process and negotiations, the smaller deals can take about nine months to a year or something around that. So, but mainly, mainly it's an issue of resources, I believe. Right, right. Interesting. Well, let's turn to the climate change investment strategy story now. Uh, That's the second link on our post. Demi, uh, same first question. Please tell us about the story and how it came about. Absolutely. So I've been tracking ESG for a while. And obviously, any source that you speak to in the infrastructure sector, everyone speaks about ESG and how important it is. But the main issue is whether those fund managers or LPs or everyone are walking the talk when it comes to ESG. And flipping around reports that come up recently, um, I saw one report that states that infrastructure comparing to other alternative asset classes uh, are falling short in ESG commitments. And this made me question again whether infra fund managers are just talking about ESG or at actually implementing strategies where uh, they're disclosing ESG or they're pushing forward with ESG. Uh, and that's where I stumbled across the issue of what they call climate change adaptation, which is basically factoring in any climate change impacts into the investment process. Um, So some fund managers are doing that already because they're quite focused on ESG. Their funds are linked to ESG. But other traditional uh, infra investors could be lacking here just because it's a new process for them. Um, So not everyone is equally at blame here. Um, But obviously, this is something that is very important right now. And it's something to consider. It seems like kind of a herd mentality and the herd hasn't started to move in that direction. But it seems so obvious that investors should consider the impacts of potential future climate change on their investments, particularly in infrastructure. Why do you think many don't? I think it boils down to several things. But one thing that really plays a role here is is cost, to be honest. Um, so when, when they're creating reports... Um, or looking at climate change in general, one one thing that they usually do is sometimes they're looking at backward data in terms of the change of temperature rather than future data. And that kind of inhibits how 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 well they're looking at climate change adaptation. Another thing is, is that they if they do factor in any changes in temperature, any climate change impacts, that's obviously going to increase the pr- uh, the price of their project compared with those who don't factor it in. So it becomes an issue about competition and winning the project, winning the bid. 
but I mean, it should be factor in, obviously. And it shouldn't just fall on the shoulders of the infra fund managers on their own or their choice. Uh, it should be. So there's a lot of talk of whether it should become something more legitimate or called for by governments, for example, in order to ensure that it's being implemented. Interesting. Yes. One thing that occurred to me, you didn't really address this in the story, uh, I don't I don't think, but uh, one thing that occurs to me every time I read a story about ESG, that's that you know everybody gives lip service to ESG investing, but there are no uniform definitions of what exactly ESG investing means. When do you think that will change? When do you think there will be, you know, the same standard that everybody follows? I think that ESG investing across the board, so this is not just infrastructure, but many asset classes don't have a clear definition or a clear uniform definition for what ESG investing is. Uh, but obviously, there's a lot of interest in moving in that direction. And I think it's just going to take time because it's quite new and people are just trying to understand what ESG is going to entail um, and what to add into it. But I think that the EU is moving forward, or maybe they have some sort of first mover status here uh, with their EU taxonomy. So they've created regulations, which are the SFTR regulations. And it basically asks for funds to kind of disclose whether they're, uh, whether they are um, related to ESG or not and disclose certain requirements based on that. And I think once the if the EU deems successful with those regulations and infra fund managers are also successful in implementing and disclosing those ESG kind of commitments, then obviously other regions will follow as well. But I think it's a journey. I think they're trying their best to kind of implement ESG here. But with time and once it's like, I think practice makes perfect and then we'll have a clear definition on what ESG investing is. Well, thank you very much, Demi, for taking the time to discuss these interesting stories. And thank you all for listening to Crossroads. I'm John Wyland, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>